Hi there, this is Tony Campolo. And what's your name, fella? Hey, Shane Claiborne over here. I'm the one with hair. Yes, and <laughs> I I'm the one. See that, but take, I'm, I'm the, the one with the southern accent too. Yeah, and I'm the one with the marble top. <laughs> and let me remind you, people on the other side of the pond, they don't put marble tops on cheap furniture. Do we understand each other? I always tell my wife that I'm not bald. I have a crew cut, but in my case, the crew bailed out. So that's the story. Well, uh, here we are again for our show, which is from across the pond. Uh, so called because we put the show together on the U.S. side of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, and uh, uh, we call it from across the pond because it's primarily aimed at the folks over there in the United Kingdom. Although via the Internet, this program is heard all over the world. And we're glad for that. Uh, you can go to our website, Red Letter Christians. Dot org. Tell mm. us about Red Letter Christians. Yeah, so you can uh, see on the, on the website, uh, there's a covenant that we make that uh, is uh, uh, kind of fleshes it out and says that I care about this world as much as the next so that our, our faith is not just about uh, getting people into heaven, but bringing the kingdom of God on earth and uh, caring about Jesus and justice. So sometimes things that we've separated in Christianity like uh, you know, folks will say, well, uh, this is just about personal salvation, not about social transformation. And we kind of go, you know, this is about both. We, we have a God that is personal and a God that is also uh, uh, transforming and healing the world. And one of the things that we've talked about, Tony, that we're going to talk about today is we've, we've sometimes separated uh, orthodoxy and orthopraxis. So uh, Whoa, orthodoxy, orthodoxy being where we get the word doctrine, right believing, right thinking, and orthopraxis is the practices, the right living, the practice of our faith. Um, we talk a lot about practice, so but this week we're going to spend a little time thinking about doctrine, because sometimes it, we can lose the fact that even though Christianity is more than just be believing, um, it doesn't. The things that we believe are really important, and and you know, there's there's some sort of sloppy theology out there. I mean, I've, I've heard people say things like, uh, uh, you know, the bodily resurrection is irrelevant. You know, whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead. You know, we're we're kind of like practicing resurrection in a mystical way, and you're like, wow, I think you're reading a different Bible than I am. <laughs> yeah, I think Paul says it so clearly in the 15th chapter of First Corinthians. If Christ be not risen from the dead, we are still in our sin, and our faith is vain. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the big differences between uh, the Western Church and the Eastern Church, you know, in the, uh, uh, in the middle of the 1500s, the churches split. Uh, the Eastern Church, headquartered at Constantinople, split from the Western Church, headquartered at Rome. And they have two different approaches to salvation. Uh, one is that in the West, we always talk about the cross as the instrument of salvation. Mm. Uh, that you go to a Catholic church and there's Christ on the cross over the altar. Uh, that the crucified Jesus is the instrument of salvation. Mm. There's truth to that. But there's even more truth to the Eastern Orthodox churches that say, wait a minute, if all we have is a dead Jesus... We are people most miserable. That's not my teachings. That comes out of the 15th chapter of, of 1 Corinthians. Paul says that. We are people most miserable if Christ be not resurrected from the dead. And so the Eastern Church would say, 
It's important to believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he somehow, in ways that we can't fully explain, took upon himself the sins of us all, Mm. and he was punished in our place. When I look at the cross, I say, I should have been there. I should have been punished for the sins in my life. But on Calvary's tree 2,000 years ago, Jesus took the punishment that should have been laid on me. Mm. Upon him, I'm quoting from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, upon him was laid the iniquities of us all. Uh, Mm. So we, we understand that. But the Eastern Church says it's not enough to have a good doctrine. You have to have a relationship with the resurrected Jesus. Have you met him? Uh, Do you talk to him? Do you feel him invading your life? Do you connect with him? Uh, Are you able to enter into a personal relationship with him? I wonder how many people in the church believe the doctrines of the Apostles' Creed but do not have a resurrected Christ. Hmm. They believe in the doctrines of the Apostles' Creed, but they have no connectedness, no I-thou relationship, no intimate fellowship with the resurrected Jesus. That's what the Eastern Church would emphasize. I think that both the Eastern Church and the Western Church both have truth. And I think we've got to get together and recognize we need the story of the cross, but we need the story of the resurrection, Mm. that the resurrected Jesus is here and now. And the question is not... Do you have a good doctrine of salvation based on the crucifixion? Do you have a relationship with the resurrected Jesus? Does that preach? Yeah, that preaches. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, as we formed our community 22 years ago on the north side of Philly, our community uh, is called the Simple Way. And one of the things that we did was we, we identified what are the beliefs that are essential to our faith in our community and what are the practices. So we actually had a statement um, of, of the core practices of our faith, things like simple living and nonviolence and caring for creation and racial justice. But we also had a statement of the doctrines, you know, and the things of our faith. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of Christian colleges, churches, they have a doctrinal statement, but they don't have the, the practice side. But there's others that kind of are thinking there's less and less that we need to, to do as far as the, the doctrinal. So what, what are some of the other... Well, there's um, a great story in the Bible of... Uh, of a man who was blind, and uh, Jesus comes through and uh, gets some mud, puts it on his eyelids, mm-hmm. goes and wash, wash your eyes in, the, in this pool of water, and he does. And he can see. And the Pharisees immediately surround him and say, what do you believe about this man? What is your, do you believe this man is a prophet of God? Do you, mean, do you believe in his divinity? Do you believe in He said, look, all I know is once I was blind, now I can see. Mm. In short, his message was, this is what Jesus has done to me. This is what Jesus has done for me. Sometimes uh, we are uh, so anxious to get people to agree with our doctrines that we fail to do what Jesus asked us to do. He said, be my witnesses. Mm -hmm. A witness has said, this is what I have seen. This is what I've experienced. The early Christians, uh, when they were being punished by the authorities in the ancient world, uh, were brought up before the ruling uh, potentates. And uh, they said, look, we're sorry, we'd like to shut up, but we can't. We cannot help but speak. Listen to their words. Not, 
We, they don't say, we cannot help but speak of what we believe and our doctrines and our theology. We cannot help but speak of what we have seen, what we have heard, what we've experienced. Yeah. People in the world are not looking for a new theology. They're looking for people who have had an experience with Jesus and sense the reality of the presence of Christ in the, in the life of the witnessing person. And so, uh, you know, the question is, is Christ alive in you? And when people meet you, do they meet Jesus? Do they sense the presence of Christ in you? Or do they only hear some doctrinal statements? Yeah, and sometimes people will say, uh, you know, it's hard to describe God. And there is an intimacy that, you know, you're left without words sometimes, you know, as you try to describe someone that you love or the God that you love. But, you know, the words, the I think the tricky thing for some people with doctrinal statements or doctrines is that words, uh, even as they reveal, they also conceal. They have a shadow side as they kind of illuminate. We're trying to describe a mystery. So, you know, I've uh, had so many people try to explain the Trinity. You know, we had our yeah. Richard Rohr had a... Um, one of those fidget spinners that has three distinctive sides, but then you spin it and it all merges into one. He said, here's an image, <laughs> you know, or you think of, I heard someone describe the Trinity as, you know, water can be ice, steam or liquid, That's or, my line. you know, or, or, uh, you, uh, you know, you can be a, a husband, a dad and a son, you know, all at the same time. But it's, we're always trying to wrap our hands around something that's kind of beyond words. You know, yeah. the, I am who I am, but, uh, and but, the real question is not, do you have the perfect theology of the Trinity? The question is, has the Holy Spirit touched your life? Mm. Is Christ a living reality in your everyday life? Are you following Jesus? Is the Holy Spirit empowering you? Do you sense that God is giving a direction to your life? God gives you direction, gives you a sense of where to go and what to do and what to be. Uh, I, I'm always interested in the uh, 14th chapter of John. Uh, Jesus says, if I leave you, I will send the Holy Spirit and I, and, and he shall be your, it says in the King James, the comforter. I asked what that word really means in the original Greek language. And the Greek scholar that I studied under uh, said, oh, I guess the closest approximation to that Greek word, it's, the word is parakletos. Mm. He said, the closest we can come up with is a co-pilot. Hmm. You know, you're flying an airplane and you got this co-pilot next to you hmm. telling you uh, whether you're doing things right or whether you're doing things wrong. And you don't have to listen to the co-pilot. But if you don't, you just may crash. Hmm. The co-pilot is checking on your progress, making sure you're staying on beam, making sure that you're flying in the right manner, that you're pushing the right buttons. And that's what the word means. Uh, Jesus says, if I leave you, I will send the Holy Spirit, and he will be your parakletos. He will be your co-pilot. He will be there uh, prompting you. You don't have to listen to his promptings. Uh, you know, you don't have to go along with what he's urging you to do. But I'm amazed at times in my life when I'm about to sin, I feel the Spirit within me saying, Campolo, what are you about to do? Mm. You, what are you, you're, you're, you're going... I always love the story of the uh, guy that uh, goes forward in a meeting uh, to accept Jesus. And the evangelist says, weren't you here last year? And the guy said, yeah, I was here last year. Came down the aisle. 
But since then, preacher, it's like two teams of horses pulling away at my soul. One team pulling me the wrong way. The other team of horses pulling me in the right way. And uh, he said, well, what are the, do you have them there? Yeah, the one is Satan, the other is Jesus. He said, well, which one wins the tug of war? And the guy said, whichever one I say is giddy up to. (laughs) (laughs) But in the end, we are all, as the existentialists would argue, people who have to make a decision. Mm. Because there are, Paul says it, there are two forces pulling away at me. And sometimes the things that I want to do, <laughs> I, I, I know I shouldn't do. And the things I should do, I don't want to do. Yeah. Oh, wretched man that I am, mm. who shall deliver me from this tension within? We all live in tension. Mm. And I, think, uh, I think it was Luther. One of Luther's best lines was, uh, inside every one of us, there's a sinner and a saint at war. So each day we get to choose who we're going to be. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. a good line. Yeah. I've never used that. I'm going to use that. A little bit of a and paraphrase. And I will give you credit. Yeah. I say, you know... <laughs> Shane Claiborne, Claiborne, (laughs) quoting Martin Luther, who probably was quoting St. Augustine, who probably was quoting the Apostle Paul said. Yes, so there we are. Uh, Yeah, Uh, this is Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. The name of this show is From Across the Pond. Uh, Tell them why we call it that. Yeah, because here we are over here in the U.S. A lot of you are listening in the U.K., and we also have folks that, that listen around the world. Uh, and we're, we're, we record it uh, right outside of Philadelphia, so that's why we call it Across the Pond. But what we love talking about is red-letter Christianity, uh, the old Bibles that have the words of Jesus in red. And we, we are very concerned about the state of Christianity, as, as Gandhi said uh, uh, everybody loves Jesus. They just wish the Christians acted more like him. Yeah. And that's, that's really what we want. And uh, so we've, we've been talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the core beliefs of our faith, because we talk a lot about practice on the show, but the, the things that we believe are important too. And in the end, Christianity isn't just a bunch of ideas on paper, but it's the word become flesh in Jesus. And so Jesus is uh is who we're looking to as, as far as what it looks like, to what God is like, and what love looks like with skin on. So that's the one we follow. A lot of television preachers and a lot of radio preachers propagate something that you and I really seriously question, and that is a prosperity theology. Mm. That somehow, if you believe in Jesus, and if you're committed to him, uh, that everything will go well for you. Uh, you... Uh, I, I ran into a situation in Buenos Aires of a very famous uh, Pentecostal preacher mm. who basically taught that, you know, if you were right with God and if the Holy Spirit was alive in you, that uh, your sicknesses would be taken from you. And in the midst of all of this kind of preaching, his wife came down with cancer. Mm. And he wouldn't let her come to church where she could find friends who would support her through these agonizing days and months until her death, wouldn't let her uh, come to church lest people see her sick and say, hey, preacher, you're supposed to be able to heal people instantaneously. How come your wife is dying of cancer? And so uh, you can see what happened. You can see what happened. Uh, That kind of thinking. Or that God, I, I hear these people who talk about reverse tithing. So if you give $100 to Jesus, usually to their radio program or television show. If you give them $100, that God will reward you with $1,000. 
reverse tithing. Mm. Give us one-tenth of what you want from God. You give us $100, we promise you God will give you back more money. And you have poor people around the world who are buying... Why don't these televangelists give all their money away? Yeah, why don't they do that? (laughs) Well, no, the evidence that you're right with God is that you're rich. I know, it's crazy, yeah. Uh, But, you you know, I think that as, as you... You you look at the uh, the prosperity gospel. It, it just has a h- real hard time holding water when you look at Jesus saying, "Sell what you have and give it to the poor." But it's it's very tempting. I like the um, I like the uh, uh, version that Ron Sider, our friend, has of the the graduated tithe. Yeah. You know, and he yeah. says the tithe was the minimum. And you're always joking yeah. that we need to change some of our hymns to say one tenth to Jesus mm-hmm. I surrender. Yeah. But you know, Ron says. The more we make, the more we should we should give. The and and sometimes the real indicator is not how much you give, but how much you have left. So there's folks like Rick Warren and others that are living off of ten percent and giving ninety percent of what well, they have away. So I'm running into a problem. I uh, I had a lovely house. You remember my old house? Yeah. And uh, we sold it and decided to move into a retirement community. And we had a a house had gone up in value because we're a rich suburban community, way beyond our wildest imagination. We turned the money over uh, to our, I love the word, financial planner, and uh, we didn't pay any attention to it. The next thing you know, we were rich. Mm. And so here I am going around preaching to people to give up their money and give the money to the poor. And I got all, so I started giving the money away in chunks of $50,000 a shot, mm. 50000 here, 50000 there, to very, very important uh, causes usually not even to organizations, but to particular people, uh, people who are doing incredible things for Jesus and were in desperate need. And don't give me this stuff. I'm one of those people. Give me fifty thousand bucks. But I was giving it away. And our financial planners have called us in and said you can't go on doing this. Uh, you're old. Uh, you could get sick and get a. Uh, and I say yeah. And if I get sick, I get sick. He said, but. But what happens if you die? What will your wife do? You know, well, I said, I got an insurance policy. And uh, to which one of my friends said, Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow, what you shall eat and what you shall drink. So how come you got an insurance policy? Well, I know all these things, but it's difficult to give money away Mm. because you want to be sure that you're not going to ruin people through throwing too much money at them. I have been on the mission field in Haiti and I have seen uh, Haitian pastors who are good, lovely people, and then some church comes in and builds a school for them and starts throwing money at this pastor. And I've watched missionary pastors, uh, Haitian pastors, Dominican pastors, uh, destroyed because of money being dumped on them by missionary efforts. you got to give your money away carefully and make sure that it's used for the purposes. I find giving to individuals rather than giving to organizations is the best route for me to take. Mm. Yeah, so that's 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 my own my own thing. I give to my church, I tithe. Yeah. I give give to the church, I tithe. One tenth to the church. But then my real giving is on a personal basis to people who are in need. For instance, I got a I got a friend in another part of the country. He was a boyhood friend of mine, a lovely Christian. He was a pastor. He wasn't the best preacher in the world, but he was good. And he was a lovely, lovely dedicated. Well, he's gone through hell and high water. His wife needs all kinds of medical care. The insurance company won't renew the insurance policy for him 
and we don't have universal health care here in the United States. Mm. He's in desperate need of money just to pay medical bills. So I start sending significant amounts of money to him because I think this is what Jesus would have me do. Yeah. If, if I'm quoting from the book of John, 1 John. If you have this world's goods, being very specific, if you have this world's goods and you know of a brother who is in desperate need and you keep what you have while that brother suffers, how can you say, I have the love of God in my heart? Mm. Well, that verse sticks with me. And here I've got a brother who's in desperate need and I've got money in the bank. I got to take it out and I got to give it away to people who are in desperate need. I can't help everybody. There's a great story I like from a book that I read when I was, well, when I was about, uh, I don't know, 21, 22 years of age. Did you ever read Catcher in the Rye? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, in that story, this little boy, uh, he's not a little boy, high school boy, is, uh, is uh, talking to his teacher mm-hmm. and said, what do you want to be when you grow up, the teacher asks. He says, I want to be a catcher in the rye. Mm. Says, what do you mean a catcher in the rye? He says, well, I had this dream recurring dream, which is a field of rye, and the rye has grown so high that children can't see over the top of it, and they can't know where they're going, and there's a cliff, and they keep on walking towards the cliff and falling over to death. And I try to tell them to turn back, but they don't know which way is back. So all I can think of, mister, is to stand on the edge of the cliff and grab one here and grab a child there, Mm. and mister, I can't save them all but I can save one here and one there. I guess that's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a catcher in the rye. That's Mm. the message for you today, people. You can't save the whole world, but there are some people you can rescue. There are some people that a few bucks are going to make a difference between life and death, between hope and despair. Are you using your money the way Jesus would use it? Every once in a while, somebody says to me, what about that bum you meet on the street who comes up and says, hey, Mr., I need a couple of dollars to get a meal. What should I do? They always ask me. Jesus doesn't lay any conditions. He says, if somebody asks you, give them. You say, well, what if he's going to use that money irresponsibly? To which I always say to the person who asks the question, God has given you huge amounts of money. Do you use the money he's given you responsibly? Good question. Well, we're getting near the end well, of the people show. People ask me that. I, you know, I think it's always good to err on the side of grace and on the side of suspicion. Uh, you know, I don't think we're going to get to Jesus, and He's going to be like, "You gave, you gave too much money away to folks on the street or something." Yeah. You know, but uh, you know, we carry uh, socks and granola bars and things that we think people need with us, and so we're able to interact a little bit. But I think it's interesting because we often ask the question with suspicion. If someone's homeless, well, they might use my money for booze or something. But we don't ask the same question when we put money into these companies and CEOs. You know, what are they going to do with my money? Yeah. <laughs> you well, know, for them, like when I we're buying, say- uh, uh, you know, uh, different products, uh, many of those folks are using it for uh, terribly I, unjust I hate things. to say it this way. When I put the money in the offering plate of the church, I have to ask, is this going to be used the way Jesus wants it used? Or are they going to put new curtains on the windows? Are they going to buy a new stained glass window? Because the truth is, if Jesus had a choice between a new stained glass window and helping some poor person on the street, 
which do you think he would do yeah. with the money? Or one of the worst ones I heard, uh, this uh, friend of mine said that he was going to a church and they were arguing about whether or not they needed a heater for the baptismal because it was uncomfortable to get baptized in cold water. And he said, Jesus died on a cross and we can't get in cold water up there to our knees. You know, but you I, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I, a good question whenever we give money to an organization is, uh, what is the CEO getting paid? Uh, and, and where is the money going? Yeah. And, uh, we can tell you if you give to Red Letter Christians, yeah. <laughs> we put it to good use. All but, of our employees yeah. are underpaid or not paid at all. But the other thing that we're launching right now, too, which is really interesting, is a Red Letter Marketplace. So we're actually celebrating companies all over the world that are really innovative, that are hiring folks that have been rescued from sex trafficking, folks that are making products out of um, uh, like old newspapers and trash. We've got folks that are uh, converting guns and bombs into more beautiful things. So you can go to Red Letter Christians, and among other things, you can see our new Red Letter Marketplace. Redletterchristians.org. Check us out. There's a place where you can sign on and say, you know, I just don't want to believe in the doctrines of the Christian faith. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to do the things that Jesus tells us to do in those red letters of the Bible. Some of the old Bibles have the words of Jesus highlighted in red letters, and that's where we go for our directives in living out life in this materialistic world, in this technological nightmare, in this Frankensteinian society in which we live. (laughs) You say, why do you call it that? Because we've created a society that is now threatening us. Blessings on your people. Go to the website, sign on, become a red-letter Christian. We need your support. Blessings.